0: to episode 15 of the Pi Podcast, the show by members of the Raspberry Pi community for the Raspberry Pi community. I'm Joe. I'm Isaac. And I'm Albert. And later on, we'll be talking to Andrew Mulholland, the creator of PiNet and a Raspberry Pi creative technologist. But before we get into that, let's talk about some news.
1: And the big news is there's a new uh, Raspbian image. So there's been a new updated release, and it includes experiment OpenGL drivers,
2: that's a pretty big deal, isn't it? I mean, we've been waiting for a while for this to come out. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, it has. There's been support for OpenGL, because I believe the actual Broadcom chip is OpenGL ES. So I'm not too sure what's needed to give full OpenGL support, but I had to play with it. And yeah, it makes it makes a huge difference for OpenGL. They they mentioned the GLX gears. Um, so I ran that without the, the uh, driver enabled, and with it enabled, and it, yeah. Chalk and cheese. Without the driver, it was horrible. With the driver, it was silky smooth. And then again, they mentioned a few games, and I ran Neverball. And yeah, full speed, perfectly playable, as it should be, basically. So yeah, it's working well. I think there is some things where it's not 100%, and that's why it's experimental, but definitely worth having a play with.
0: Yeah, it's not installed by default. Uh, You have to go into the command line to do that, and it only supports the Raspberry Pi 2 at this point.
1: Yeah, you've to go into raspi Config from the command line to enable it. So the the software's in there, but it's not enabled by default. Um, so yeah, it's but you just go in, you enable it, you reboot, it's done. It's it's in the image.
2: That's that's, that's uh, pretty sweet. I know it's also it seemed like everything else software wise got some updates. Looks like updated uh, Java. I think Wire Wiring Pi now can hit the pins without sudo. And was it Scratch, Sonic Pi, Mathematica? They've all been updated as well.
1: Yeah, it's great. It's great to see the. I mean, there was an update in January as well. So they're they're moving it forward at a pace. It's brilliant.
0: And uh, there's a, a blog post with a video by some bloke called Winkling, whoever <laughs> he is, that we can link to. Yeah, that was a, just a very short video because I wanted to see the difference. So I went looking to see if there
1: was a, a difference in quality. So I just did the GLX gears demo. And recorded on my phone, so don't expect quality. Um, but you can clearly see the difference in speed. I, I just opened three windows, stuck them on the screen, and it showed the difference clearly.
2: And also in the news, we have uh, three great game maker games for the Raspberry Pi. Um, Albert, have you had a chance to play with any of these games yet?
1: Yeah, I downloaded them and I, and I ran them. They are they they're native games for the Raspberry Pi. Uh, the three games are they need to be fed. Super Crate Box, and the last one I'm bound to fluff a bit, Maldita Castilla. Um, they Need to Be Fed is undescribable. It's a polite way of putting it. It's kind of a, a puzzly gravity game game. Um, yeah, that's, that's the best I can do. It's great fun. It's, it, I actually played it the most because it's one of these mind-bending, puzzly games. And um, what you've got to do is collect uh, collect stars to feed a monster at the end and you kind of feed the monster yourself as well. Um, Super Crate Box is one of those manic jump around on platforms and shoot things games. Um, you have to collect the crates, basically. And then you get extra weapons and you got to shoot the baddies as they come out and you get upgrades. So it, it's a single screen game platformer and then maldita casta castilla uh, is how i'm going to pronounce it is basically ghost and goblins uh, with different graphics um and it is really cool they're, they're really really good i was very impressed
2: yeah that was a fun game back in the day i remember it uh, i'm reading here on the blog post it seems that you can't have the new open gl driver enabled with these did you get a chance to test that out any
1: yeah, well, I, I saw the blog post saying they don't work with the OpenGL driver, so I just disabled it. So that's just one thing to be aware. If you download the new image open and enable OpenGL, then you have to disable it to play these games. Um, you also have to set the memory uh, quite high for some of these games to 256 meg. So um, it's really a Pi 2 type thing. I think somebody did say they get one of the games working on a, a Model A with a 128 meg split. Um, but really, it's a Pi 2 type thing.
2: I almost feel like you'd have to overclock the CPU on the Model A to really get the (laughs) best bet for these things as well.
1: I'd expect so.
0: So let's move on to some great Linux-based news, and that is Manjaro is available for the Raspberry Pi 2 now, and also Chromium OS, and also Tizen. Now, I love having different operating systems to play with on the Pi, especially if they're Linux-based, so this is just excellent news. Manjaro, in particular, is one of my favorite Linux distros, so it's really good to see it on the Pi.
2: Yeah, I didn't get a chance yet to play with the Chromium one. I tried the Tizen OS out for about five minutes, I feel like, and didn't get to really work, and I abandoned that. And a shameless plug here, I did do a write-up on the FosForce.com about the Manjaro um, Linux for the Pi 2, and I'm really pleased with that. I installed the base edition for that, and I've been hunting for a while now to be able to play with Arch Linux without having to go down the entire arch route. And my, Manjaro provides that easy go-between. I've been having a blast with it myself. I've had a couple issues, and the only issues I have have had with Manjaro are the same things I've had with anything, such as Ubuntu Mate, or any of the other OSs for the uh, Raspberry Pi 2, which is the idea of the, that ARM uh, 7 isn't able, isn't supported by certain things I'm looking for. I think it was the Arduino IDE I was hunting for for Manjaro.
1: So what's so special about Manjaro? I've never heard of it and I I don't know it. So why why would somebody who's using Raspberry Pi look to Manjaro or the other OSs?
0: Well, the thing about Manjaro is that it's based on Arch, which is notoriously difficult to install and time-consuming to install at least. Whereas Manjaro is based on Arch, as I said, but it's all set up to be just working straight out of the box with a really nice configuration and really nice theming and all the software available that you need. And and so it's just an easy way to experience an Arch-like distro. It's not directly Arch. It's not straight Arch. It's got some other repos that are unique to Manjaro. But it's essentially Arch without any of the
2: hassle. Yes. For someone like me, I've been wanting to play with Arch. I play with it, uh have had some luck, but I wasn't really able to haven't played with it much in the Ar- Raspberry Pi 2. I look to the Pi 2 as a good experimental platform for random stuff. Manjaro provided that, and I'm able to run with it. Also, really quick with the Manjaro Linux stuff, it comes in four editions. There's the base edition, which comes out of the box with Xf- XFCE, and a few other base applications you I, I normally always use. And then there's the minimal edition for a good stuff, like uh, the Model A concepts or projects. And then there's the server edition and there's another one i can't think of off the top of my head but the server one oh it's media edition that's what it is uh those two are definitely in the works but they seem to come pre-installed with cody or any of the server stuff and if you look to a lot of the ubuntu flavor maker stuff it seems to be that's what a lot of people are hunting at which is media concepts out of the box server concepts out of the box and just your normal desktop environment out of the box so i said the my general stuff's a good uh so for anyone interested in arch to give it a go yeah, and Chromium OS, if you want to experience the Chromebook-style
0: OS, but this time on a Raspberry Pi, too. One thing on the Chromium, it
1: said in the, the announcement that it worked on an, an 8-gig card. I I I don't know whether it's my Donji 8-gig cards, but I bought a bunch of them from Toshiba, and it's saying it's too small. So you might have some problems with the image on on standard 8-gig cards. So if you've got a 16-gig, you should have no problems, but with an 8-gig, it, it wouldn't install. But I've had that with other images that were 8 gig in size. So I think the cards I have are nearly 8 gig, if you know what I mean. And uh, a few interviews ago, we we chatted to Ben Nuttle, And uh, he mentioned that he does Pi Weekly. Well, it's now hit issue 140. So it's, it's a long longstanding uh, weekly newsletter um, that you can subscribe to to find out what's happening in the Raspberry Pi community and with the Raspberry Pi Foundation.
2: Yeah, um, congrats to Ben and Pi Weekly for reaching this milestone. I uh, I subscribe to the newsletter. It really helps me out each week, kind of see what's going on with the Pi world, Pi community. And just um, thank you for the time and effort, Ben, you put in for this, and just uh, congrats for reaching this milestone. It's pretty big. And so last up
0: in the news then is an Indiegogo campaign for Next Doc, which can turn your, well, it says your smartphone, but basically anything into a laptop. It's a... Uh, looks like a laptop it's got a screen and a a bluetooth keyboard and you can plug pretty much anything into it including a raspberry pi
1: yeah it's got a uh, mini hdmi connector um it's got a bluetooth keyboard as joe said so you plug in a bluetooth dongle and you've got a full laptop i think to me I've, i've supported this one to me this is the kind of thing that'll replace Everybody trying to find the old Motorola Atrix. Yeah. Um, displays, cause it, it does exactly the same thing. It's more versatile. The screen is slightly larger. So it's a 14 inch rather than, um, 11.9. I think it is on the Atrix. Um, but it also, for the price, it's, it's about a hundred dollars. I think it's about $25 shipping, um, is what it's expected to be. Um, it competes really well with the Pi Top Seed, which was out there as well, which I think they were doing for about three hundred dollars without the Pi. So it's it's not as customized for the Pi as the Pi Top Seed, because it's designed for the Pi to be put into it. This, if you look at the pictures on the Indiegogo, the Raspberry Pi is you know Velcroed onto the back of it. But I just think this is a a fantastic portable solution for using the Raspberry Pi. It's fixed funding uh, for three hundred thousand dollars, and as of now it's sitting around around 50,000 with a month to go. So they have a bit to do to get uh, to the 300,000. I'm actually hoping they hit the million, because at a million, they're going to put in a higher resolution screen. So uh, please support. That way, I'll get a higher resolution screen on my one.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, thank you for turning me on to this, Albert, because I hadn't heard about this Indiegogo campaign, so you brought it up. I'm a bigger fan of this uh I love the Raspberry Pi aspect, but the equally hooking up my smartphone, it buys in a lot more functionality because I, I hate using my phone to go through the internet sometimes as a go-between. But the fact that I have a couple of Raspberry Pis and I'm trying to think what else I have, maybe a BeagleBone or lying around, I think all these can just play ball with this idea of this next dog. So I'm definitely looking to support this as well.
0: Yeah. Not to mention the possibility of uh, Ubuntu convergence with this. You never know. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's a straight HDMI screen. Um it supports MHL.
1: So if you've got a a mobile phone that supports MHL, you can plug a MHL adapter into the USB port on your phone, plug it into this, and you can literally make appear what's on your screen appear on the um on the device as well. And it has some special features for Windows ten phone. So a thing called continuum. I I don't have a Windows ten phone, but it looks like it allows it to be the full interface for Windows 10. So that converged idea, Windows 10 phone, becomes effectively a desktop as well.
0: Yes, this thing's really versatile. You know, Pi, Windows, Ubuntu, anything you want to throw at it. So it seems like it's well worth backing. But that'll do it for the news then. Let's move on to the interview. We're now joined by Andrew Mulholland, who is the creator of PiNet and Raspberry Pi creative technologist. So welcome, Andrew. Hi. So, as usual, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please?
3: Okay. Uh, I'm a university student, second year university student over here in Northern Ireland. Uh, I'm studying computer science, and I love Raspberry Pis. And on the side, I work on an open source project called Pinet for schools.
1: And w- when did you first hear about the Raspberry Pi? Were you one of those uh,
3: early people who went, This is a magic beast, and I want in? I was, yes. I, I had mine ordered, well, I had my, my interest registered on that first morning. Uh, and then didn't receive it until, I think I got my Pi in about August that year. And what did you do with it first? Uh, what was I doing with it first? Oh, I was building robots, building robots with Lego. Uh, so using uh, le- old Lego uh, RCX motors and everything, and uh, soldering cables together and building little robots that just kind of drove around and had a wee camera on them later on and stuff like that. Sounds very good. So can you tell us
0: about PiNet? What exactly is it?
3: Yeah, so... Um, PiNet is a free and open source uh, system for schools and organizations that have more than one Pi. So uh, the perfect example on why it's useful is, let's say you've got a classroom and you've got, say, 30 Raspberry Pis in it. That's fine if you have 30 kids, because each kid gets their own little SD card and you write their name on it, and that's then theirs for maybe the rest of the term to work on. But as soon as you then started getting more kids, so let's say you have two classes or three classes or... The entire school that needs access to these Raspberry Pis, that method gets rather expensive, and so uh, PyNet is—it's based on a system called LTSP, the Linux Terminal Server Project, and there's two main kind of parts. The first is the Raspberry Pis themselves network boot. So if you want to, or if you have a, uh, you maintain basically a master image, a perfect Raspbian copy that each Pi grabs off the network each time it starts up. So if you want to push a piece of software to every Raspberry Pi, that's really simple. You just install it on the master copy on your server, and it is pushed out to all of them. And then the other part of it is network user accounts. So like all schools have right now anyway, where kids can just sit down and log on to any computer in the school, it adds that, but for Raspberry Pis. So any student can sit down at any Raspberry Pi in the classroom, log in, get access to their files, all that type of thing. And then on top of that, there's a couple of other little things like shared folders, backups, uh, work collection, stuff like that. And it's all free, open source, and heavily documented to make it really simple to set up.
1: So is this equivalent to the Ubuntu project's Edge Ubuntu?
3: Sort of. Um, So Edge Ubuntu actually comes built in with uh, LTSP support, uh, but LTSP itself is not the most user-friendly in the world, and it also doesn't out-of-the-box work great with Raspbian because there's a lot of tweaks made to Raspbian uh, to make it uh, more user-friendly, to make it add adi- additional software and stuff like that. So PiNet takes Raspbian and makes it much more, uh, well, it makes it accessible for the schools to put it out en masse to lots of Raspberry Pis and maintain it.
0: So the thing that strikes me about this is the bottleneck on the Pi is surely the network connection because it's sharing the USB connection there. So does that not cause any issues then?
3: Well, the first thing that we can do that's kind of cool is by doing by having the operating system separate on a on a server, um, we're able to actually compress the operating system right down anyway. So the the way it works is we have a read only uh, operating system layer, and that we because it's read only, we can compress it right down to about sixty percent uh, of what you would normally pull off an SD card. So immediately we're only sending roughly sixty percent over the wire in the first place. Uh, and then on top of that, there's, there's layers put on top and the student's home folder and stuff's mounted. But the other thing is it works just like an SD card. So, um, but on the, on the other end, you've got a much faster storage medium. So you've got a hard disk, which is much faster than SD cards, uh, or in some cases, an SSD. So SD cards are pretty slow by themselves, but having it, having the operating system dramatically compressed and then, uh, putting it on a faster medium in the first place actually means we see similar, if not slightly faster, boot-up speeds with PyNet than we do with um RASPing off an SD card. And what about kind of day-to-day performance once it's booted? It's from, from our tests, it's similar, if not better. There's some applications work better than others, uh, but most of them that we can see, unless they're grabbing data really quickly, little tiny bit chunks of data back and forth, you wouldn't notice the difference. And I was watching um
1: the Bilge Tank, one of their uh, YouTube videos today, and they mentioned that you still probably need to boot up with a, an SD card. So there's still some ca- something on an SD card?
3: Yes. So the Raspberry Pi requires an SD card in its slot for it to be able to boot. Uh, so you have to have a card in there. Um, and on that, because Ras- the Raspberry Pi doesn't have any sort of pixie bootloader or anything like that, you do have to have uh, the kernel and a couple of little um, boot config files, basically. And uh, it's about 40 megabytes, and that starts up and it connects to the server, and then you're, and then the server takes over from there.
1: Are those um, SD cards identical, or, or is there something on them that's unique on each one?
3: So uh, the server IP address is actually put in on one of the config files. Uh, it means it doesn't interfere with any other devices on the networks. Um, so yes, each, each uh, boot image is unique to that school or organization. Okay, but we say if a school had 40 of them...
1: It doesn't matter which SD card you put into which Pi they'll Yes, it's yes. A, okay, perfect. And then it
3: can then go and do things like if that if that boot image needs updated later, uh, when it's starting up, it checks. And so if, if there is new kernel files or boot files or configuration files, then the Raspberry Pis will actually flash their own SD cards by pulling it straight off the server um, so that they're always up to date. So the idea is you flash the cards once, and then you should never need to touch them again.
0: Wow, that is that's really great. So yeah, you you can just do it all centrally from that one
3: server then. Yeah, and you could basically just tape the cards in, you know, to the Raspberry Pis. Yeah, or glue them in maybe. <laughs> well, maybe that's a little far, but <laughs> just in <laughs> yeah, case yeah. something goes wrong. But <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. but yeah. So how many people are working on PiNet with you? Um, it's mainly just myself. I have a lot of other educators that are providing feedback. So there's a support email address and there's a lot of, I get a lot of emails with new requests for features and stuff like that. It's mainly myself. There's been a couple of people over the past um, year or two that have helped contribute um, uh, new features or ideas because it's all open source sitting on GitHub. And there's been a number of people who've also contributed to the documentation too.
1: Again, kind of looking into it, it's based off um, Ubuntu. Why was it that you chose Ubuntu?
3: Well, Ubuntu is really, you know, user-friendly. It was initially based off Debian, but... Uh, uh, ages ago, we moved to Ubuntu, also because it has its nice, um, LTS long-term support versions. Uh, so with PyNet we recommend that you go and put it on Ubuntu 14.04 right now. And it means just one nice, easy user, easy to use operating system, which uh, everybody's running. Um, and Ubuntu is really nice, you know, it's, it is very easy to pick up if you're coming from a Windows environment or a Mac environment where you've never really played with Linux. And it was one of the key features behind Pine. It was let's make it really simple. Let's make it really easy to set up and maintain. And does it
0: have to use the Ubuntu GUI to do it, or could you do it off an Ubuntu server image?
3: Oh no, it'll it'll quite happily. You can use Ubuntu uh, server or uh, the Ubuntu desktop. I recommend the Ubuntu desktop because it's kind of aimed at teachers instead of technicians. So it's meant to be you know, easy to use. Um, but the actual PyNet control panel runs uh, through a thing called Webtail, uh, which is the same uh, library used for Raspi, the old Raspi-config utility. So it can even run over SSH. Um, so you could have it set up on a headless server and then be managing it over SSH without any issues.
1: And uh, there are some interesting uh, installations of PyNet. What have you heard about there?
3: Yeah, so there's a number of them that I can't talk about, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> But uh, we, I hear of a whole pile of crazy ones from schools that, you know, are using it with 2,000 students um, to a number of commercial organizations um, to even some research labs that are using it. Like there was one recently, I believe a research lab was using it uh, to count fish or something. Um, I'm not 100% sure about that. But, um, and we also see it used right across the world. So um, I got an email a while back from uh, a charity that was working with a Kenyan prison and the inmates had set up this Pinet network um, inside the the prison and they used it as a classroom, you know. And so this charity worked with this um, prison and they would come in and use the Raspberry Pis to to teach the, the inmates basic computer programming. And they used Pinet for that.
0: Yeah, sounds excellent. So do you get a lot of feedback from the people who've used it? And, and do you implement ideas and and that feedback that they give you?
3: Oh, yes, definitely. So it's been one of the one of the really important bits is that it's designed for schools and a lot of the features actually have come straight from schools requesting it. So um, things like when I built it initially, I didn't even think of shared folders or being able to collect students' work in, and those were both features you know directly uh, requested by teachers. Or being able to import a CSV file of users, you know, I hadn't thought of that um and then a school came and said hey we have one and a half thousand students how do we import them you know so uh a lot of it a majority of the features in PineNet have come straight from schools it was actually initially built uh alongside uh a school teacher and he was the kind of he was the official end user for it if you know what i mean so in
1: PineNet as it stands now what are you what are you most proud of and also you know what's coming down the line what's the the next thing that you're going to be putting in there
3: I'm proud of, um, well, I'm kind of proud that it's used. Uh, that, that I wasn't expecting that. I initially built it actually as part of my A level computing project. And, uh, I never really expected it to be used. I put it on GitHub because I put a lot of my stuff up there. And it then got found by a school that said, Hey, can we use this? And how do we use it? How do we, you know, because as part of my computing project, I had to write documentation. So I had documentation there and I gave it to them and said, Hey, can you, They said, they came back and said, hey, can we have this feature? Because we would love to use it. And it kind of spiraled from there. Um, then as for things that are, that are coming, um, let me think. We've got, well, we've obviously got Jesse support, which should be right around the corner. Hopefully that's in testing right now. Um, a lot of things have changed in that. So I have to make sure everything is thoroughly tested before it gets rolled out to the schools. Um, there's a number of other small configuration changes, um, the ability to push out a custom config.txt file for weird monitor setups and stuff like that. And that was, again, a feature directly requested by, I believe, a school up in Manchester, I think. So, yeah, there's a couple of other small little tweaks. Um Being able to... Oh, the other one, yeah, that was requested a while back is actually being able to run the main Pinet util- configuration utility from a Raspberry Pi. And so the teacher logs in on one of the Raspberry Pis and can actually access the the management console and can also access the clasher management software that comes with it uh, from a Raspberry Pi instead of from a normal computer or from the server. So that's that's done. That just needs more testing.
0: So have you any idea of the the numbers here, the, the number of installations, the number of schools and
3: organizations using it? So recently um, I've started collecting data. So uh, when, it, when it starts up, um, it it checks for updates and as part of that users can if they want fill in a little bit of extra information that's sent uh, back to the secure pinet server so um, they can fill in things like uh, organization name um, the nearest nearest city and stuff like that and also the type of organization so I've been collecting that data now for about two two and a half months and we're seeing three or four installs every day a complete install, so the full server is set up and it phones home at the end and you know uh, checks for updates. And we're seeing I, from what I can tell there's a couple of hundred PyNet servers out in the wild being actively used, but a lot of schools don't actually connect their PyNet servers to the internet after they're installed so it's very hard to tell because a lot of them have um, uh, filtered internet connections and stuff so they'll set up their PyNet server at home and then they'll bring it in and use it in school so there's a lot of PineNet servers where that's the case, and I there's no possible way to collect data or hear you know how they're being used unless the teacher emails in with questions or feedback.
1: It looks like uh, PineNet is something that you're obviously doing for yourself, um, but I've seen you be involved and sort of pop up as part of the uh, the Raspberry Pi community. When did you sort of get in contact or get to know the people at the foundation?
3: Um, well, they've been aware of this project for quite a while. Um, I initially worked with Dave from the Raspberry Pi Foundation uh, when he had feature requests and ideas, and they now show it off at a number of their Pi Academies to the teachers because it's the type of thing that the teachers are looking for, is being able to you know, have a nice way to manage all of the Raspberry Pis. Uh, so there was that, and then they've kind of kept in contact. They've had a couple of feedback suggestions and stuff over the past couple of months. Uh, and then when I was in uh, over the summer, uh, last summer, um, on a on a, uh, month-long internship with them. I was also working with the education team to add some specific features that they were really interested in and stuff like that. I
0: said at the top you're a Raspberry Pi creative technologist. What does that mean then?
3: Okay, so uh, whew, it would have been back in, back in maybe March or April of, of last year, they announced uh, a program called the Creative Technologists. And the idea was getting artists and makers and people like that students together to make some interesting projects to learn about the Raspberry Pi and get involved in the community and stuff. And then finally run an exhibition with their new created works of art slash technology. So uh, there is nine of us and we have gone to, we've gone to a number of events across the UK and uh, are currently in in the process of making our, Pieces of art slash technology works uh, for an exhibition, which will be coming up shortly soon. Unfortunately, I can't announce anything right now, but hopefully, uh, hopefully soon we'll be able to announce all about the exhibition and where it's being run and dates and stuff like that.
1: Sounds fantastic. So, as part of that uh, creative technologist, I mean, do you, do you do you work together? Or are you all working
3: independently? So we're all we're all creating our pieces independently, but we're bouncing ideas off each other quite a lot. Uh, And uh, we have monthly uh, Google Hangout calls where we're going over each other's uh, projects and how we can fix each other's projects when they're broken and uh, providing feedback to each other through that. So it's very much a collaborative project between all of us because some of us are artists and maybe haven't had much technology background before. And then there's others that are, you know, the complete opposite who are makers and who've done electronics and all that type of encoding stuff before. And so it's a bit of a mesh because uh, the the best projects obviously will combine both together. So,
1: which camp would you put yourself into, and how have you found the uh, the experience of of doing the creative technology stuff so far?
3: I would certainly put myself more in the sort of uh, maker coder sort of uh, camp. I'm not I'm not uh, hugely artistic as such, but I've certainly learned a lot through through going along this uh, program. Uh, we've been to a number of uh, exhibitions. We've been to a number of um, big. Uh, pr- or we've been to see other people's projects and stuff like that. And we've worked with a number of artistic organisations. So actually, I think I find that I find it really useful. Um, and slowly, I'm coming, slowly moving more towards the middle. <laughs> slowly.
1: <laughs> I had a, a guy years ago, who's um, who was an artist. He he did logos and graphics and stuff mm-hmm. for his his profession but he also did did his own paintings and he was saying you know his, as far as his daughter was concerned what made him an artist was that he could stay inside the line so um <laughs> funny feeling it might be a little bit more complicated than that
3: i'm not even sure if i could stay within the lines so you know <laughs> the,
1: the, i mean just thinking on this creative t- technologist it sounds like the kind of thing that It'd be really cool to happen in schools because, you know, I I know when I was in school all those billions of years ago, you know, there was a guy who I sat next to for English and he was creating his own comic book. So he had a separate copy book in his bag and he was (laughs) literally drawing a comic strip during class. And I'm looking at this guy going, he's wasted in school because what he was doing was just amazing. Mm -hmm. And if you could take somebody with that artistic flair and ability and marry them with... A technology person who could bring that to life I mean it just sounds like a great way for you know art to, you know the whole d teams to to get together and do something bigger within a school a, a, as projects
3: definitely yeah um, It's very, it's been very interesting working with some of these other um, excellent people these artists and these um, you know there's YouTubers there's um, there's people with musical talent On I have none of that but um, and there's also, you know, writers. And so it's really interesting to work with all these people that maybe haven't had much experience with code or electronics before and to get to learn from them. And then hopefully them learn from myself and, you know, the rest of us. So it's been really interesting.
1: Fantastic. So I'd say we'll watch for the announcement of the, uh, oh, the exhibition. Yes.
3: <laughs> yes. Um, and of course, um, you can, uh, follow us on Twitter. I, I'll, I'll get told off if I don't. <laughs> um, if I don't, if I don't mention our Twitter handle, which requires me to know what our Twitter handle is, um, raspi ct, uh, so at R-A-S-P-I-C-T, and we'll be announcing all our stuff through that Twitter account. And, um, I'm sure it'll get retweeted by the Raspberry Pi Foundation and all that type of thing.
0: Excellent. So if people want to find out a bit more about you and Pilot, where's the best place to go?
3: Um, so, well, there's my Twitter, which is at GBA man one. Uh, And then we've also got the main Pinet site, which is pinet.org.uk.
0: Excellent. Well, yeah, I'll put some links to that in the show notes. Well, thanks a lot for coming on the show and and telling us all about that. It's been been great talking to you.
2: Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really uh, kicking myself. I wasn't uh, able to be here for the interview with Andrew. Um, It sounded like a really good interview. What were your guys' takeaways looking back on after you talked to him? I met Andrew at,
1: at the Beth Thing as well. I think Andrew's a great guy. I mean, the um, PiNet as a solution for schools is fantastic. As he said, if you've got, you know, one classroom with 30 kids, eh, maybe giving them all a, a micro SD card or an SD card works. But the moment you're rolling that out to a proper school with 600, 1,000, 2,000, you know, students, you you can't manage it with... With individual cards. You, you won't be buying a Raspberry Pi for every single one of them in a school district. So in this way, every student can have a personal configuration and every student can keep their work. They can submit it. It's all controlled and managed in a central location. Um, and it's, it's really easy. It is designed for a teacher effectively to set up. It's not designed for the IT department to set up. So he's taken that into account as well. So it's easy to set up, easy to use, easy to configure, easy to update. It, it does everything that's needed in a, a school environment.
0: Yeah, good stuff. So with that then, we're coming to the end of another Pi podcast. If you want to get in contact, you can email show at thepipodcast.com, or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, or you can leave a comment on the website. Thanks for joining me, Isaac and Albert, and thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you again in two weeks with more Raspberry Pi news, interviews, and discussion. Bye, everyone. Take care. See you later.